We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on local now, channel 525. Well, welcome back uh, to the Seth Leibson Show as we head into Hour 2. It is a delight to bring back a longtime friend and a dear one at that, Andrew C. McCarthy. Andy McCarthy, he's a senior fellow at the National Review Institute, an NR National Review contributing editor, author of several books including Ball of Collusion, The Plot to Rig an Election and Destroy a Presidency. He hasn't been on in a while because it's baseball season, and often he's going to baseball games. Andy, I have to warn you, here in Phoenix, there's no joy in Mudville here. You're talking to a (laughs) depressed uh, community, but welcome to the show nonetheless. Well, thanks so much, Seth. It's great to be with you, and uh, if it's uh, any comfort, and I I doubt it is, um, the Diamondbacks had a great season compared to my Mets that didn't even make it to the playoffs. <laughs> we're, we're, doubly, we're losing them, man. We just lost Walter Davis today, too, an old Phoenix Suns, a basketball player. Anyway, it is, um, it's good to talk to you, but also on a depressing topic. Uh, you, you know this world so well. Uh, you cut your teeth as a fe- you, you steamed yourself as a great federal prosecutor. You put away the blind shake. Thank God and thank you for doing that. I read the headline this morning uh, from CNN that the White House is is putting together an initiative to combat anti-Muslim bias. The initiative, quote, the initiative comes as Israel's war with Hamas, which has seen a rising number of civilian deaths in Gaza, has increased fears of Islamophobia in the United States. It's increased the fears. So, of course, despite that anti-Semitic, anti-Jewish hate crimes outnumber anti-Muslims by about 600 percent by the FBI's count and have risen 400 percent in the last month, the White House is working to put together a commission for anti-Muslim bias. Andy, I don't have words. I'm hoping you do. Well, I think they're they're really in the thrall of their base, Seth. I mean, um, you know, remember the Obama-Biden administration brought more people who were connected to Muslim Brotherhood, connected Islamist organizations in the United States into the administration uh, than any administration ever had. I mean, we went from um, the Holy Land Foundation prosecution by the Bush Justice Department, which was the most significant uh, uh prosecution of um, camp of terrorism financing uh, ever and the Holy Land Foundation was basically Hamas's piggy bank and in that uh, prosecution the Islamic uh, Society of North America which is an outgrowth of the Muslim Students Association established by uh, the Muslim Brotherhood uh, was listed as a unindicted co-conspirator as was care uh, the Council on American Islamic relations by the early stages of the Obama administration, um, administration officials, including Valerie Jarrett, were like keynote address givers at the uh, ISNA, the Islamic Society of North America conference. Uh, so, you know, that's how much things changed in just a couple of years. And I think that what we're seeing now, you know, the Biden administration is really the third term of the Obama administration. They brought back 
all of the old team. And the only difference between then and now is that they're, you know, four years further along the project. And it is fair to say, accurate to say as well, that Hamas is the Muslim Brotherhood's representative in Gaza, yes? Yes, the Muslim Brotherhood established Hamas in uh, 1987. The charter is uh, 1988, uh, but they are the Palestinian branch of the Muslim Brotherhood. That's th- that's not me saying so. Hamas says so in their no. charter. Yeah. So, you know, they're part of the movement. You, uh, you wrote up yesterday, I mean, all of this propitiation, Andy. I think that's the right word for it. Bernard Lewis once spoke of anxious propitiation. Uh, All of this is leading to something you wrote about at National Review. Uh, Director uh, Christopher Rea on Iran and the rising jihadist threat. All of this is is really the cause of a possible... I mean, if we have something to fear here, it's not Islamophobia. It is a jihadist threat. That's where the real fear should be, no? Well, first of all, I I just want to not that you meant it this way, but I just want to push back on one uh, aspect of the question, which is the idea of having fear of Islamophobia when Islamophobia is not actually a thing. I'm uh, fair enough. I take the yes, I take the emendation. (laughs) We will call it an emendation. Yeah, Islamophobia is basically a concoction of the Muslim Brotherhood, and it's a brilliant one. Uh, to try to associate the examination of their ideology with racism. So, in other words, the stuff that you were kind enough to note that I was doing in the 1990s, um, you know, bringing this information out in the courtroom, what we used to call that in the 1990s was evidence. Yeah. Now it's called Islamophobia. Nicely put. Nicely put. And, and it is it is that conversion, uh, that trick or twist of the mind that, I'll use that the word again, hopefully accurately, uh, propitiation. It is that which is causing the rising jihadist threat. That is the thing to be feared. Yeah, I, I, the, um, the jihadist threat uh, is always thrumming along with us, uh, but every now and then it rears its head in such a barbaric way that everybody has to take notice, which is what happened on October 7th. But to, to you know put it in the context of what you originally asked me, um, yeah. I, I think what's happening here is the Obama administration, because of its base, uh, I'm, I, I'm even calling it yeah, the Obama yeah, administration. Yeah. I'm not going to correct you on that. <laughs> I'm not yeah, the, <laughs> the Biden administration, because of its base, can't bring itself to say anti-Semitism uh, in, in context and by itself. So anytime it mentions it, it has to mention Islamophobia because that's what its base demands. But I would suggest that a lot of the, not all of it, but a lot of the anti-Semitism is driven by uh, some of the outfits that promote this idea of Islamophobia. And and maybe we saw some of this early on a week ago or a testing ground of it when Karin Jean-Pierre was asked about rising anti-Semitism and went into this long monologue about anti-Islam concern. Um, can I take a quick call on this? I want to keep you a little bit uh, f- yeah, further on, on some related stuff, but attesting to the fact that we are a fa- family values show, there is another Andy in town on the line. Andy in uh, Phoenix, you're on with Andrew C. McCarthy. Well, it is so pleasant to hear my cousin's voice. I'm very grateful for all his work. And, uh, and I'll tell you, if, if the next administration should hire him as a director of a Secret Service of the FBI, so we can bring some uh, credibility back to those services. So, Andy Tobin, uh, can we hire you to be something too, though? Please, please. 
I'll do I'll I'll do whatever work my cousin asked me to do. I'm at his service. He knows that. So, uh, you know, it's uh, fun growing up together. I, I, you know, I thought Andy, we had the '69 uh, Mets here in Arizona for a little bit until last night, and uh, a young group. People didn't give them any uh, any chance at all, and here they came, and uh, uh, we missed it by a few games. Might have needed Tom and uh, Jerry Kuzman to help us out a little bit in the last few games, but. Uh, you know, it's sure good to hear your voice and best to your mom and all, all our siblings. So uh, uh, this guy is uh, just a hero from my perspective on on this war we are in right now, which, by the way, now is in our homeland. You know, I listen to Director Ray telling everybody, watch out. We've got we've got cells here. I fear all of this. And, uh, and I, I tweeted out, I go, listen, this doesn't sound like a warning. It sounds like a political cover. You've already opened the border up, you know, so uh, it's very frightening. Uh, it's certainly frightening for us border states. But, uh, uh, and Andy, I, it's true. We did send uh, folks under uh, my watch and Governor Ducey's uh, back east. So, yeah, it's our fault. <laughs> Andy, I knew you had something to do with it. I just knew it. Um, uh, it's great to hear your voice, cousin. Um, and, uh, I have to say that the Mets tried it this year with a couple of pitchers who might as well have been, uh, they might as well have tried to be Seaver and Kuzman as old as they were. We had, we had the market cornered in 40 year old pitchers for about $90 million. Um, but, um, it's it's great to hear your voice. I wish it wasn't uh, under the circumstances of having to, having to speak about things that are so dour. But um, I salute what you guys have tried to do on the border. Since uh, right. if we have to depend on Washington, then we have no policy. Uh, and obviously, right. uh, you know, the homeland, uh, our homeland security concerns, which is what I think Seth wanted to talk to me about tonight, are starting to to look a lot more like September 10th, 2001, in the sense of the um, uh, the, the whole sort of assembly of different threats, both within and without. And I don't mean to be alarmist, because I do think that our um, our intelligence works a lot better than it did in the 90s when I was doing terrorism cases. But I do think that the the threats are... Uh, more multifaceted, and uh, obviously Iran is not only more audacious than ever, it's now in a kind of an operational partnership or access uh, with uh, China and Russia. So that's a that's a different dimension of threat, I think, than we were dealing with 30 years ago. i got to take a quick commercial break. Andy Tobin, don't be a stranger. Call more frequently, even though we're no, not blood-related. Yeah, I, I'm I got, always here. All right, here. I got to take a quick break. Andy McCarthy and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Andrew C. McCarthy is my guest. Andy McCarthy is a senior fellow at National Review Institute. He's a Fox News contributor and NR contributing editor. Uh, great writer, great mind, great attorney. And Andy, I do want to talk to you about the threats uh, we may face here. Before I do so, though, having mentioned your... Um, affiliation with the National Review. Let me also uh, express my appreciation to National Review. People are going around tearing down these signs of of American and other hostages being held by Hamas, uh, particularly throughout uh, New York and Washington, D.C. and other cities. National Review uh, put them all up on their website. I just, you know, tell the powers that be this is appreciated, if you don't mind. Well, we sure appreciate that, Seth. And uh, given what's going on, 
especially in our neck of the woods in the east, uh, the least anyone could have done. Ten Americans killed, right? And uh, another several uh, held hostage now. It's an amazing it's an amazing reaction on the streets here and in our politics and halls of Congress. Two were killed in Germany, I was reminding the audience, in 1986, and we bombed the hell out of Libya. And the reaction here, something's different about this country right now, Andy. Something's different. What? Yeah, are it, are, are it you sure perceiving is. it too, I, I, you know? Yeah, I, I pointed out uh, the other day that the death toll here is, um, you know, I the World Trade Center bombing in 1993, uh, which I still regard as kind of the uh, declaration of war, uh, by Sharia supremacists in the United States, um, six people died. Yeah, that's right. Uh, that's and right. and um, one of them was a, a a woman who was well along in her her pregnancy, but that just highlights that five times more than five times yeah. more people, more Americans. Yeah. I you know I, I, mean, I misspoke. Right, right. Ten hostages, yeah, thirty-one dead. Yeah, right, 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 right. And, yeah. You know, fourteen hundred Israelis killed, but thirty-three Americans. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the biggest terrorist attacks in terms of American carnage yeah. in the history of the United States, and there's virtually no discussion of it. No, there's virtually no discussion of it. And when people want to be, you know, the, the family members and friends and sympathizers put up these signs, the idea that people want to take them down, it's a weird I – don't, I don't even know how to – Explain it. You you put you put up an interesting piece. Do Jewish students have civil rights or not? Do you want to say a word on that too? Because there's a, that's another element to this story as well. I think. Yeah, I do, I, and I appreciate that. The so you know, imagine that this was a Black Lives Matter um, student at Harvard yesterday who was being physically impeded, not yeah. able to walk the campus. Okay. Uh, there would already be an arrest and an indictment under the civil rights laws, which make it a crime for two or more people to conspire to deprive people of their federal rights, including their constitutional rights, which include the right to walk around the campus of a university on the same terms as other students. Yeah. These are, this is physical intimidation. I'm not talking about, you know, I, we all understand the First Amendment concerns, uh, but when we're talking about physical intimidation, we're talking about assault, and knowing that if this was any other group other than Jewish students, um, there would already be a prosecutor. I mean, we're calling. I'm calling for yes. prosecutions to start because I think the only way you roll this back is by making a strong statement. But unfortunately, I'm not holding my breath waiting for that to happen. Well, I thank you for doing so. You're always so smart and clear and on the side of moral right here. Such such a confusing moment here, the side of moral right. And I, Do you have an explanation for that, Andy, the, 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 the misplaced prioritization of, of right and wrong that's going on right now? I remember after 9-11, a lot of us said probably too prematurely that relativism is over. We've now seen the difference between good and evil. We don't need to engage in these pseudo-sophisticated fantasies anymore that everyone's the same, playing on the same playing field of, of, of moral levels. Um, boy, we were wrong about that, and we're wrong today, aren't we? Yeah, well, I, I guess the thing that bothers me the most about it, Seth, is that this is like one of the most predictable yeah. problems of all time. Yeah. I wrote a book in uh, 2010 about Muslim about the Muslim Brotherhood in the West. Right. And what I pointed out was that the Muslim Students Association was the most important building block of the Muslim Brotherhood's 
project in the West. Mm -hmm. They started with a handful of chapters in universities in the Midwest in the mid-60s. Sixty years later now, there are four or five chapters on virtually every American campus in the country, and it's they've churned out three generations of activists. So again, you know, we're at the same old problem, which is if you turn over the institutions of influence and learning and opinion to the left and its allies, and, and that very much includes the uh, Islamists in the West, uh, if you do that for three generations, you can't be too surprised when no. you wake up in 2023 and it turns out that the world is completely flipped over. Yeah, I was talking, do you know Pete Peterson over at Pepperdine? He was talking about this the other day as well with me. He was saying he was just shocked at how many of these groups on campuses there are these days. He was just shocked by yeah. it. And uh, yeah. can we look into the foreign funding of this stuff? Is that a legitimate area of inquiry? I think it is an, a legitimate area, um, but it's not just foreign funding. There's plenty of domestic yeah. funding. There's a there's strange bedfellows here. You know, I, I I'm marvel at the progressives in the United States because, for all their chanting about uh, in solidarity with uh, with Hamas and the armed struggle and all that stuff. They wouldn't be allowed to live like for five seconds if they were in Gaza. I say, I say that um, often. You know, it, it, take Ilan Omar's uh, domestic policy um, agenda, and she'd li- last about an hour. Someone was holding a sign LGBTQ for uh, Gazans, and uh, who was it? Jamie Kirchick said, "Check out their adjunct organization, Blacks for the KKK." <laughs> right. I, I saw something like that. It was like uh, the chickens for KFC or yeah, something. Yeah, that's right, 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 chickens for KFC. <laughs> I have only about a minute or so left with you, Andy. But, yeah, the domestic threat I was talking about for but the domestic here, it's here now, right? I mean, we, we, we really need to be aware of what's going on here in this country, don't we? Yeah, and, and look, the thing everyone has always been afraid of in the national uh, security space uh, is the idea that, you know, when you have a border as open as ours is, uh, so that even imbeciles can get in without difficulty, yeah. uh, Hezbollah is not imbeciles. Yeah. And, you know, the thing that people have always been concerned about is that if we took action against Iraq or Iran, uh, do they have a network yeah. of cells that they can activate? And it's a big, it's a big problem. I don't yeah. know exactly what to do about it, other than hope that our intelligence is as good as I have portrayed it as well and keep pushing man i mean the value of your written word andy there are a few people that are taken as seriously as you uh, are for the right reasons because there are a few people as sober as you are it's really great uh catching up with you it's always under awful circumstances unfortunately but andy thank you for your friendship and thank you for your scholarship thanks so much seth great to talk to you appreciate you making time for us i'm seth liebson we'll be right back Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Delight to bring on a dear friend, Josh Hammer. Many of you know him from his writings. Many of you know him from his podcast. Um, he is, among other things, a senior editor at large over at Newsweek, and he has uh, broken some great news about his own um, show. I'm reading from Inc. Radio Magazine. Josh Hammer is now set for national radio syndication launching this weekend with am 770 in seattle 
Josh, welcome to this profession and welcome back to the Airwaves of Phoenix. Seth, you are indeed a dear friend, and it's been far too long, my friend. Always a pleasure to chat with you. Thank you. Congrats on the show. You excited? I mean, there's nothing like starting a show in the midst of a cauldron of crisis, huh? <laughs> yes. Um, uh, you know, look, I mean, what you just read is is probably playing it up a little bit if, if I'm trying to put on my hat of humility. I mean, we're sta- we're starting with with one station that's uh, AM 770 KTTH uh, up in in Seattle. Yeah, Jason Rantz, the the programming director there, who is a frequent Fox News guest, been a friend for a few years now, frequent contributor to to Newsweek when I was running the op-ed section over there. So we're going to start there and then just basically see see how far we can go. But it's very, very exciting. We actually just recorded our our first episode earlier today that will debut on, on their airwaves this weekend. And will you know be released as a podcast i guess monday morning is is a new game plan so it's exciting stuff it's very exciting stuff Seth. i mean you know i'm a writer by by background right that's kind of my main thing i write a weekly column as you know you know as, as you know very well yeah. I, I do all sorts of other writings as well but i've kind of taken on the whole talking thing over the past few years and, and i have to say that i happen to enjoy it quite a bit so i can see why you've been doing it for so long well i'll tell you something you know i'm a frustrated Professor, I left, you know, I, I couldn't get a teaching job, you know, in those days when, you know, I was studying Aristotle and being white, there wasn't a lot of college opportunities, uh, college teaching job opportunities. The job market is probably even worse now. So I just kind of think of these shows as the classroom I never got. You know, I love I love the dialogue. I love the back and forth with the audience. Um, you're going to just love it, too. It's it's appreciated and appreciable. And I got to tell you, Josh, I'm just so excited you're you're jumping in the water here with us. Yeah. And that actually makes a lot of sense. Right. I mean, look, uh, you're a you're a Ph.D. Right. If I'm yeah, I, I left before the Ph.D. I did the ah. uh, I did the graduate work with Harry, got the master's degree and then went off to law school. So. Yeah. Okay, close enough. Yeah, so I mean, you are a man of graduate education. I mean, I'm a lawyer by lawyer by background as well. I mean, sometimes you kind of start to go down a career path, and you realize that you know, your passions maybe are better suited for a slightly different medium than the one that you had first thought possible. I mean, you know, look. As for me, I thought about being a lawyer for the rest of my life. I mean, I worked at a big law firm for a year and a half. I clerked for a federal judge on the. U.S. Court Appeals for the Fifth Circuit, I kind of had all my legal ducks lined up in a row. But like you, Seth, I, I am really passionate about the issues, yeah. about the issues that matter, about public policy, about law, about international relations, all this kind of lofty stuff. And to be honest with you, from a lawyer's perspective, not very often you get to actually kind of advocate That's for right. that so pa- passionately. That's so. Right. Media really does tend to be kind of the most straightforward path. And like I said, I started as mostly a writer, but, you know, I, I think the more – the more tricks of the trade you can pick up and you can kind of be like a full spectrum writer talker. I mean, yeah. the more the merrier. I think. Well, the media needs you and it needs more of you. You know, I was reading um, I was reading. Uh, do you know my friend Ed Morrissey over at Hot Air? Of course. Uh, I was I was reading a piece he just <clears throat> posted. How did American media cover Hamas's declaration to annihilate Israel? And um, he's talking uh, about a lot of different things. But he was talking about this interview, Ghazi Hamad who is uh, the spokesman uh, for uh, for Hamas in Lebanon, uh, you know, talking about his intent and his organization's intent um, to liberate the occupied lands. And the interviewer says, um, the Gaza Strip, he says, no, no, all the Palestinian lands. And the author, the uh, questioner, the interviewer says, does that mean the annihilation of Israel? 
and Hamad of Hamas says yes. And as Ed Morrissey points out, um, there is zero reference to any of this in the New York Times. Uh, There are 68 references to ceasefire in the same period. Um, This the media needs you, Josh. That's that's my point. You know, I think that based on the polling that I have seen, the media has an even an even lower approval rating than Congress. And Congress has a horrifically low approval rating. Yeah. So the media really can't get a whole lot worse. Um, as far as the polling that I've seen, I think they might be the institution that is literally rated the lowest as far as the public approval is year in and year out. And, you know, that's not that's not necessarily thanks to, to me and you, Seth, but it's due to this total, you know, a homogenous culture, this intellectual homogeneity that exists in New York City, Washington, D.C., is totally divorced from the feelings of half the country. They or, or maybe even the truth. i, I got to take a quick commercial break, something you're going to learn about real quick. <laughs> Can you stay one more segment with me? <laughs> of course. <laughs> Thanks, Josh Hammer, and I'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Josh Hammer is my guest. He is the host of the Josh Hammer Show, which is launching uh, this weekend in Seattle, uh, set for national radio syndication. He is, among other things, a senior editor-at-large at Newsweek and a syndicated columnist. Josh, thanks for staying with us and being with us. Um, Cori Bush, who is a congresswoman uh, from uh, Missouri, writes uh, in, um, in her condemnation of Israel, we are on the side of peace, we are on the side of love, we are on the side of humanity. How did things become so upside down here, Josh? I mean, honestly, I think sometimes I just think I'm living in bizarro world. You know, Seth, it's funny. I actually, maybe an hour or so before I joined you on the airwaves of Phoenix, I finished my weekly syndicated column that comes out tomorrow morning. And the title of this column, if I can preview it for the audience here, the title is Want a Ceasefire? Tell Hamas to free all hostages and unconditionally surrender. Pretty simple. I I mean, isn't that the most straightforward way to achieving the very ceasefire, the very pause that everyone from Cori Bush to now Joe Biden himself is saying that they want. It's very curious that they choose to pick on Israel, which obviously has the unambiguous moral high ground here. I mean, we're, we're talking here about the world's only Jewish state, a first world civilizational state that excels every which way you can measure a country's success from education to innovation. Every way, it's a first world country competing against a jihadist outfit that is indistinguishable from ISIS or al-Qaeda. You know, why is it that the leftist powers that would be choose to tell Israel to stop rather than to tell the terrorists to stop? I mean, it really is. I mean, to call this morally perverse, I think, would be a dramatic understatement. I think my takeaway, Seth, kind of thinking back to the Obama administration's foreign policy, and you have to remember that a lot of the same goons who were there during the Obama years, Robert Malley, Wendy Sherman, a lot of those same people are, are now back again. Samantha mm-hmm. Power, John Kerry. I mean, you know, the band is back together, and mm-hmm. the band wasn't particularly good the first time around. Mm-hmm. And I think back to what happened under Obama, and the whole kind of Middle East realignment that led to the Iran nuclear deal was predicated upon undermining America's allies in the region, Israel, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, countries like that, and then bolstering our enemies, mm-hmm. so Iran, Muslim Brotherhood. And the idea here is that you would get better balance and it would allow the U.S. to get out of here. And it occurred to me earlier today that that's that's exactly what's going on here on a much smaller scale. They're doing the exact same thing. They're telling Israel to 
stand down, essentially. And they're bolstering Hamas by trying to let in so-called humanitarian aid, which obviously just ends up supporting Hamas's war effort. So, you know, Ecclesiastes says that there's nothing new under the, under the sun. What's right. old is, is new again. I think we're kind of just seeing the same Obama foreign policy here on a smaller scale. It doesn't mean it's not vile. It is. But it's the same thing all over again. Yeah, I think it also says there's a time for war and a time for peace. I was thinking about uh, in that same book, I was thinking about things that were occurring to me, the calls for ceasefire. There was a ceasefire on October 6th. That was a cease. October 6th had a cease. There was a ceasefire. And this is and this is what happened um, on October 7th. By the way, and once once. Yes, all the all the all the Israelis did. But once once the callousness and disregard for 31 Americans who were killed, I was reminding a previous guest that in 1986, two Americans were killed in Germany. So you can't say, well, it was in another. Two Americans were killed in Germany. And we unleashed holy hell on Libya uh, when Ronald Reagan was told that he might have accidentally killed Gaddafi's daughter. You know what he said? He said, if necessary, we'll do it again. Well, over two. That was two Americans. We have over 30 here, never mind at least 10 in, in hostage captivity if they're still alive. And that really is kind of the grand irony of the people on both the left and, I hate to say it, but also some elements yep. of the right who, who, who are kind of pounding their chest and saying, oh, it's not our business, yep. oh, ceasefire, oh, America first. Well, you know, America first, taken on its very own terms here, as you just laid out correctly, Seth, America first on its very own terms would be something closely approximating the Reagan approach here, which is there are – at least 15 to 20, possibly as high as 30 American citizens currently held hostage in Gaza. Well, wouldn't it be America first to send at a bare minimum, you know, a naval deterrent, anything that we can do to kind of, you know, get Hezbollah, Syria, Iran out of the picture to allow Israel to go into Gaza? Or perhaps, you know, I think the situation on the ground is such that we have U.S. Delta Force, we have Tier 1 hostage evacuation. We have... Not, quote-unquote, boots on the ground. There's no infantry, and no one's asking for that. Neither the United States nor Israel. It's not going to happen. But we do have some very high-ranking JSOC special operations people on the ground, to which I say, yeah, duh. I mean, like, that makes a lot of sense because, again, there are 30, up to 30 Americans held hostage. It's, it's the basic bare minimum that we can do here. Uh, you know, unfortunately, I, I, I'm not sure this is, conflict is going to end anytime soon. I, I really hope that it is. It does seem like the IDF has managed to besiege Gaza City a lot quicker than I frankly think they otherwise would have. As of the time you and I are talking, it seems like they've got it covered basically 360 degrees. So we'll see where it goes from here. I mean, it's going to be some some dirty urban warfare circa Fallujah and all on bar province back when the U.S. was in there. But you know, God willing, Seth, we'll get those hostages out. God willing, I, from your yeah. mouth, yeah, I hope so. But I, but I also know that the reaction here is going to, as bad as it is, it's going to be worse. It's going to get worse. I, I remember 1982 and the campaign to do this in Lebanon. It's going. I, we're not firm here, Josh. We just we're, we're not, and the media is of zero assistance. The media is of is of zero assistance, and. Unfortunately, um, there's a lot of reasons, I think, why Israel finds itself in a precarious position from a PR perspective right now. I mean, the most obvious reason of which is that the world has almost 2 billion Muslims. There are approximately 14.5 to 15 million Jews. So, I mean, I, I mean, from a sheer numbers perspective, the Jews are obviously never going to win that game. 
and then you kind of look, obviously, what's, hap- what's been happening in the schools with the DEI, the critical theory. They're literally raising up an entire generation of people who are essentially raised on quasi-Marxism, where there's oppressors and there's oppressed. And any time that you have that kind of fundamentalist Marxist paradigm, you're, end up, you're going to end up an anti-Semite. I mean, it's not an accident that Karl Marx himself was a profoundly self-hating Jewish person because it kind of it's just logical. I mean, the Jews have been a historically oppressed, of course, but also a historically successful people. If you're going to divvy it up into oppressed and oppressor, you're going to end up hating the Jews who have had a lot of success here in the United States. So there's that. And then there's also the fact that the younger generation of Americans is less Christian, unfortunately, is less church, is less religious, is more secular than their parents' generation. You have the TikTok influence, TikTok, you know, the the Chinese Communist Party, which essentially controls TikTok. They're they're rigging the algorithms to disproportionately favor pro-Palestinian posts, pro-Hamas posts, and to throttle, to algorithmically throttle pro-Israel posts. So it's a real toxic stew. It's a real nasty combination of factors. Here's the point, Seth. The point is that Israel is going to have to tune all of this out, tune all of that out. Yep. Do strict tunnel vision, yep. you know, no pun intended, yep. and just get the job done. Amen. Josh Hammer, thank you so much for everything. You're a good friend. You're a friend to sound moral reasoning and sanity as well. Good luck and congratulations with your new radio show. And uh, I hope you'll come back more often, buddy. Oh, it's always a pleasure, Seth. All the best to you. Thank you. Thank you. Godspeed. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Do you trust this economy? How about a secure investment that actually helps people? You can earn up to a 10.25% fixed rate of return. It's not correlated to the stock market or the Fed with that secure investment from Y-Refi. You are in control. You can turn your income on or off. You can compound it, whatever you like. There are absolutely no fees. You can have peace of mind. There is no attack on principle if you ever need your money back. You'll get your monthly statement, no surprises. This is a secure collateralized portfolio. Maybe a better option for you than where you have some of your money now. Just go to investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or call 888-YREFI-24. YREFI is local. Their offices are right on Chauncey Lane in North Phoenix. You can visit with them. I've been there a lot. And when you do, you won't get a sales pitch. You won't be asked to sign anything. My friends at Y-Refi are trustworthy and honest. Just check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or give them a call at 888-YREFI-24. 888-YREFI-24. Make sure you tell them Seth sent you. David, you had a friend that was going to call in but didn't, huh? I did. Um, do you want to hear about it? Yeah, sure. <laughs> it was just that uh, we got into a bit of a kerfuffle on yeah. uh, Halloween night. Nothing physical but no we had fisticuffs a, i hope we had a verbal argument and it was he's a good friend and he's still a friend it's not that kind of an argument but i said hey call in and let's talk about it on air mm-hmm. and i i think he's just been busy but i'm hoping that he still will call and the next time i see him i'll tell him call yeah his well, big question was and yeah. i'm sure it's a you know that's a can of beans as humphrey bogart might say to open up right now but uh, his big question was why um, is Israel striking targets in the south of Gaza if they've asked everyone to move south, presumably because uh, there will be no fighting in the south? And he also cited the recent uh, Israeli strike on a refugee camp. Mm-hmm. And I said, 
Well, of course, you know, Israel. You mean strike to kill a Hamas leading terrorist who was hiding out in a refugee camp. That right. would be the more yeah. accurate sentence. Yeah. Okay. Right. Because Hamas is using human shields right. at this point. Right. When and we I said, went well, to kill Israelis bin Laden, just... why did we storm a house with six women in it? Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. I said the Israeli defense force is really the most moral fighting force in the world and the fact that they gave the people of the Gaza Strip three weeks to move yeah, south. And, and drop warnings on buildings before they bomb them. You know, on October 8th, a lot of people thought, you know, maybe Israel will just carpet bomb the place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, they're putting their people at risk by going in for, as Josh put it, something that's going to look like Fallujah, where we lost a lot of Americans in the effort to save more. All right. Thank you, David. Uh, Sam Stone coming right up.